So the big question is this, how do veterinarians like you, who live demanding lives, who never seem to have enough time, able to achieve balance and take control of your finances with confidence? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. We are Florida Veterinary Advisors, and this is the Smarter Vet Podcast. Hey, Smarter Vets, welcome back to another episode of Smarter Vet Financial Podcast. This is one of your co-hosts, Tom Seco, and co-owner of Florida Veterinary Advisors. If you aren't familiar with us, we do work all across the United States. However, today we are going to be having a great conversation with a very special guest. And before we jump into that, I want to make sure you all are aware, this is the first time you've heard about it, we have a financial planning mini-series we created called the Five Foundational Steps to Financial Balance. And if you are looking to get a little bit more control or want some more things in your plan to take those next steps, it's all complimentary to you. So you can access that at series.flvetadvisors.com. So coming back to who we have on our show today, I'm really excited to speak with her. Uh, I'm sure many of you have heard of her at some point, especially if you were just now graduating. Her name is Dr. Melanie Bowden. She is an ER vet, student mentor, TEDx speaker, and an author. So She's got so much time on her hands to do everything. She's conquering the world right now. So thanks for joining me, Melanie. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. Yeah, it's, it's awesome to have you here. And I've, you know, if, if you could, for people that aren't very familiar with you, I would love for them to get to know you a little bit as you could just share a couple of things. I know you were on a TEDx recently talking about the veterinary career, uh, but it'd be cool just to hear like what made you get into vet med and um, how you got to where you are right now. Yeah, so um, my pathway to veterinary medicine was not extremely linear. Um, so I actually have a background in like international relations and thermal economics and all sorts of things that I did before vet school. Um, but I came back and wanted to be a veterinarian because I love the entrepreneurial nature of our community. And I love the diagnostic problem solving component. I totally geek out on Dr. House type cases. And so I've, I really love that. And then I've had some great mentors myself um, who really helped me see the value of small animal medicine and the impact um, that you can have on people's lives and helping promote the human animal bond. And I find it really fulfilling. I really enjoy it. That's really cool. I, I noticed you went to Washington, Washington State University. What made you go there? Um, yeah, so Maine doesn't have, I grew up in Maine and uh, Maine does not have an in-state option. We have a contract with Tufts, um, but it's not the same as like in-state tuition. So cost wise, I was like, it's going to cost the same no matter where I go. So I applied to all the schools where there was skiing available because that's one of my big passions. <laughs> and uh, I decided if I couldn't be a good human, I probably wouldn't pass. So I applied to all the schools bordering Canada and a couple in Canada wow. and WSU just caught my eye because they're focused in clinical medicine and um, they do a lot of training from a client communication perspective. And then I was also really into VB, VBMA, which is the Veterinary Business Management Association. Mm-hmm. And um, they have a really well-known chapter there as well. So super glad I went. <laughs> I've, I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> That's cool. I, I mean, it's pretty much being in Maine or Washington, as we've talked about previously, you and I, is that it feels like you're on vacation all the time. And the scenery, just walking out your back door is just amazing. I would love to be up there. <laughs> yeah. I stayed post-graduation because uh, you don't have a lot of time to explore the Pacific Northwest when you're in the middle of med school. <laughs> so right. so uh, I lived there for four years. It took me three years to get to Seattle. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so I stayed after graduation and really enjoyed the Pacific Northwest for a while, but um, back in me now post-COVID. So, but probably will be flip-flopping back and forth lifelong. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's a lot easier. I would say 
time-wise, I think it's always going there is a little bit easier, but coming back, shifting back and forth from the time difference probably can throw you off for a few days. So, yeah. So with the conversation today, appreciate you sharing some of those things with us and from our listeners that are listening, I know the biggest part of what you're doing within the veterinary community, of course, is wanting to mentor veterinarians and you're looking to help more of be, I'd say like a beacon of light is probably the way I look at it. Maybe you might prefer it a little different. And I, I really would like for you to talk upon, like when it comes to veterinarians and especially the, the initiative, even with this, the Ted talk that you had done recently back in 2020, it, it seems to just like, there are a lot of things that are impacting veterinarians and are, that they're struggling with. And what would you say from a standpoint that like with the thing and the voice that you're trying to provide, what is something that you're really trying that you see that veterinarians are struggling with right now? Yeah, that's a, it's a big loaded question. Um, yeah, I, know. <laughs> I think, yeah. So I, so my passion in veterinary medicine that I've kind of discovered through my own story of trying to figure out work-life balance. And as I say to my friends, like making veterinary medicine play nice with my life, um, is, is figuring out like, how do you make work work for you? Like, how do you create a career in veterinary medicine where yes, you can achieve financial freedom. You can, you know, feel engaged at work and enjoy what you're doing, but also have a really fulfilling um, life outside of work and not constantly be receiving calls on your day off to approve prescriptions or talk to so-and-so and, and that you actually on your day off have energy to do more than just Netflix and chill, which in my first two years of practice, I did not have that balance. And you'd get to your day off and it was literally like, I'm going to slowly wake up this morning and drink coffee and like binge watch a series of something and then do some laundry and then go grocery shopping. And then all of a sudden you're back to work. So, you know, figuring out how to create that balance and how to create those boundaries so that like you can be a more holistic human um, has really become my passion. And there's a lot of things that play into that. But a lot of it has to do with like the culture of veterinary medicine and um, kind of the expectations that we put in ourselves just because of the way it's always been done. Um, right. mm-hmm. When you when you say the culture, I think that's something interesting to talk about here for a second. Where do you see that the culture has been and do you see it shifting from where it was? I do think it's shifting for a lot of different reasons. So um, a big part of the veterinary industry right now is that we're going through a corporatization of private practice, and that's definitely going to impact the culture of veterinary medicine moving forward in positive and, and probably some slightly negative ways too, just in terms of like the mom and pop feel of things. But the culture of veterinary medicine has we're, we're very much giving people, we're empaths. That's why you get into doing this. And so veterinary medicines have always kind of been endlessly available to their clients. And I get people ask me all the time, like, oh, have you read like great or creatures, great and small. And that's kind of the, the image people have of veterinarians is like this person of the community who loves animals and loves people and is willing to barter, barter, like a couple of eggs for, you know, a vaccine for a dog or whatever it is. And that fairy tale has kind of continued into modern modern day. And so when there's a there's friction in that, whether it's because if financially someone can't afford something or you're trying to set a boundary and don't feel like giving out your private cell phone number to somebody, it can create conflict between what people's expectations are of veterinary service and you know what a veterinarian's actually able to realistically give. And so, and that's a lot of what like the TEDx talk kind of went through was talking about like how that ends up playing out in a typical day in practice where you try to be everything to everyone. And at the end of the day, you really can't do that. And in trying to do that, you're actually compromising the care of 
pets and people in your service. So, right. Um, mm-hmm. I've noticed that a lot from the veterinarians that we have worked with that mm-hmm. there, there is a certain, because of corporations and stuff like that, absorbing a lot of practices over time, you know, it can be a positive and a negative just depending on the perspective that someone sees. However, the way that medicine is practiced and the of demands that are put on someone like yourself or other veterinarians being very empathetic and very emotionally attached to every, every pet that comes in there, it's, it, it can be tough to be able to uh, be able to just function and be able to in, in have a, a large enjoyment for your job because it can get to the part where it's like, oh my gosh, I got so many demands on me and I just want to practice good medicine and help these pets. I would imagine is the biggest thing of it all, right? Yeah, for sure. And and I think the finances become a big part of it too, because in human medicine, we're very used to like the human insurance structure where you don't see a bill up front. And, you know, even if you don't have insurance and you walk into an emergency clinic, they have a moral and ethical obligation to treat you. So that, especially in the ER setting, that becomes a big point of friction where you have this collision of a serious illness with your pet and needing, you know, finances available at the time of service. And no veterinarian enjoys being the middleman in that transaction. I'm, you know, we got into it because we want to help the poor animal that's hurting, not because we want to have to have this like in-depth conversation about, you know, what's financially feasible and, you know, all of the different payment options and pet insurance and all these other things. But that's a huge part of my job is the client communication around what is ideal versus what is possible today. And then trying to help people find a pathway to being able to, to afford care. I gotcha. I've noticed that a lot too, with the, the care aspect of it, the, one of the local veterinary hospital I go to with my, uh, my dog, Theodore, they've started doing certain payment plans. And of course the insurance is now starting to become an integral part of it. So hopefully that will to a certain degree, take off some of the demand off of the, you as a veterinarian being in there, it can not having to discuss too much of that. And it can be shifted the responsibility a little bit to someone else. And you can focus a little bit more on practicing medicine, hopefully I think would be a good thing to see. So with everything that you're doing from a mentoring and how you've done your, your TEDx talk, what would you say that you're starting to take more of a, an action or what actions have you been taking in your life to really kind of get ahead of this culture thing that you see to really get your happiness and be able to get focus on where you want to go? Uh, what are some things that you've been focusing on? Yeah. So about a year and a half ago, I, um, as my friend likes to say, divorced general practice. <laughs> okay. Um, so I left general practice for a while and, and did full-time relief work. And I did that um, mostly to give my time, myself space to really figure out like what is it I wanted out of my professional career and have since kind of re-engaged in, um, I work full-time now for an ER practice. And I always tell people, or I tell students all the time, like, me going back from GP to ER is 100% proof that the stress isn't about the job. It's about how you handle the job. Mm-hmm. Hands down, an emergency room, far more stressful than a GP practice. <laughs> right. um, but it's about how you engage with your work. And it's about how you manage and set expectations with your clients and communicate, work with your team. And also about, again, like how do you create this integration of your life and and your work. And for me, one of the big benefits I love with ER is I work three twelves, which gives me more time off. There are fewer days that I'm in clinic to do all the wonderful things I love to do, like backpacking and camping and visiting family and friends post COVID. Um, That's (laughs) cool. And I have to take less PTO to be available for those things. I love what you mentioned there about, I've always had that balance, that struggle myself, especially getting in the career that I'm in, that there is 
people always talk about work-life balance. And I don't really think there is really a work-life balance. Like if you're the person that kind of punches the clock and then leaves after you punch the clock, then it's like, maybe you might have something like that. But in today's society and the way things are, you, you sort of are always like, especially your mind might be thinking about it all the time as well. So how are you integrating things? And that, that's something I think even myself, I've started doing over the last couple of years. How am I integrating life and not making it to where it's just work or life? It's everything together, but just making sure I prioritize things in a way. So when it, when it comes to, you know, taking that initiative to them, like do relief and now do ER and how have you been able to like, let's just even standpoint from a, a financial standpoint, have you been able to start getting, taking that whole stigma that's out there of I'm only getting paid so much, I've got loans. Like what have you done to really start taking that step? Yeah, I think finances is one of the best places to start when thinking about work-life integration, because the whole point is we have a job to pay our bills, right? But like our bills are about our quality of life. Like that's how mm -hmm. they come to, into being, right? As you're spending money on things that hopefully are improving your quality of life. Um, so yeah, for me, um, I've always worked from the standpoint of a budget. Like I grew up in a family that fortunately was fairly financially literate. And we always talked about this stuff growing up, but that's um, not true for everybody in America. So I always started at the standpoint of a budget and walked into work knowing I need X amount annually to have what I consider a good quality of life. Um, and then from that standpoint, looked for opportunities where that would be possible. And which has meant that to some extent, like I can, I mean, I have flexibility to work where I want to work, but there are, you know, I have friends that were like, I love to live in the backwoods of Montana. And unfortunately you can only make $65,000 a year in the backwoods of Montana. Right. And that's not a choice that's compatible with what I want for my life. So part of it is understanding where are those priorities for yourself? Right. And for some of my friends, they're like, I'm happy to sacrifice some of the finances to be able to live in the backwoods of Montana. Like the upside just wasn't there for me. So I think, I think that's part of it is like being able to look at your life holistically and decide like, what are those priorities and what are you willing to sacrifice in what areas? I personally also, I was one of those individuals. There's a great resource through the VIN foundation, which is the veterinary information network for uh, helping people decide should you be paying down your loans or should you be doing something like an IRB um, forgiveness um, based off of your loan to income ratio and some other things? Um, and it's a tool. It's not perfect, but for people that are looking for more resources to think about. And I was one of those individuals that in talking with financial planners and other tools was like borderline. Like if you can pay off your debt within like eight years, then that's probably better for you than doing an IRB. But if you don't think you can pay it that aggressively, you know, then maybe IRB would be better. And I, part of the reason why I've made the financial decisions I have is because I chose to aggressively pay down my student loan debt and be in part because I'm, I'm personally mentally very uncomfortable with debt. I grew up in a family that was like cash on the barrel. And so like culturally, mm -hmm. I don't want that there. <laughs> right. And everybody's different. And, and I think that's part of, um, I mean, finances impact you emotionally. That's part of the burnout in veterinary medicine. And so for me, that's also part of my wellness is how do you feel about your debt? And is it something that plagues you and haunts you all the time? Or are you comfortable having it sit there and, and knowing that the plan you took is going to be there for 20 years? And I just, I personally and emotionally was not comfortable with that path and wanted more control. I was like, who knows what the government's going to do and right. it's still going to be there in 20 years. <laughs> so, um, so 
so yeah, that's been a huge part of my personal financial choices around my job. And, and I'd say the same thing about compensation structure. Like I've been paid, veterinarians get paid lots of different ways. We get paid on production, we get paid on salary, we get paid by the hour. And that was something that I really changed my relationship with too, because I was originally paid more in production and found that I would feel well, one, you have no shelter when a client in anger or frustration yells at you that you're upselling them because you just need to increase your bottom line because you're like, well, right. that is kind of how I'm getting paid. And um, and so you'd have some guilt around that. And also, I kept loading my books because I felt like I needed to see more pets to have my income be guaranteed. Um, and now that I'm on salary, I feel like that pressure, I'm still very busy. I still see a lot of pets every day, but I feel like that pressure is different. Like that relationship with my caseload is completely different mentally because of the way I'm compensated. Um, That's which, great. Yeah. And I didn't really realize how much that was also impacting my burnout and set work satisfaction until I switched to salary. Um, gotcha. So, yeah. Well, it's, it's one of those things from, from our conversations, mm -hmm. it, I would say you're probably a little bit more of like an entrepreneur to a certain degree, especially mm -hmm. if I've read that you were trying to buy veterinary practices and yeah. do all these other different things. Cause I know there are a lot of veterinarians out there that kind of just want to have a job. They just want to work. They just want to do what they do. They want to get a paycheck. And then, you know, you tend to be, I would say, well, there's a whole thing, what they call outliers to a certain mm -hmm. degree. Like you're the one person that's out there, like really, really showing people that it's possible. Like, Hey, I, you can do this. It's just a matter of how badly do you want it? And how, well, like, what are you willing to do to get there? And it seems like you've taken that step between like getting your mind, right. Making sure I'm looking at things the right way. You're looking for uh, an opportunity of like, how do I make sure I'm being happy along the way as I'm doing things, especially as you're saying, like you're taking time to yourself to go hiking and all this. I mean, especially living in Maine. I mean, like it's a vacation every day, I feel like. So, and, uh, being able to put in. Yeah, it's a called bit Vacation more. Land for a reason. <laughs> it's called Vacation Land, you said? Yeah, that's what's on our license plate. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. And I was I was thinking maybe maybe Alaska could be Vacation Land too because I was I was there. I was like Alaska is beautiful as well. I think every every state that's like higher up with all the the rocks and the trees and the it's just it's so majestic. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, that's cool. So basically, you've taken that step, and then with your loans because you've been wanting to pay them off. From from what I understand, you're on a path to get them paid off at a certain time. Is that right? Yep. So my commitment was to pay them off by 2026, which I'm on target for. And I, I the way that I've kind of been able to do that is in part, um, I took, I wanted some flexibility because veterinarians in general are like, but you never know exactly what you're going to make. So I did a, I technically took out like a 30 year loan with no prepayment penalty. Oh, um, so I have a lower monthly minimum, but um, I pay it as if it's a 10 year loan, but I have that flexibility if I didn't, wasn't able to for some months for whatever reason. Um, but, and then all of my production bonuses or the things that I do on the side, all of that goes towards my student loan debt. So my, like my life is generated around like what my salary is and then any other additional uh, income I've been putting towards my loans. And um, yeah, so I graduated to give people context. I graduated with 260 ish thousand dollars of debt. Um, and I just got under a hundred thousand dollars last month, which is very exciting. Congratulations. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm plugging away at it. Um, it'll be really nice when I have that chunk of money to do fun things with. 
and that helps me keep my eye on the prize. <laughs> Good. But, um, that's but awesome. Yeah. I like yeah. your mentality too, where you took out the longer loan, because that's what we always share with people, because it's like, mm -hmm. if you do hit a hiccup and you're like, I need extra money, you can stop it for a moment and then you yeah. can get back to it again. Yeah. And, and right now it's also like a safety net. So as much as I, you know, there may be some advantages to trying to refi. I decided not to reconsolidate privately because all of my prepayments now mean that like, I don't technically owe a payment until like 2028 or something. Mm -hmm. So that's the other component too, is like, I can, you know, if there was really a life crisis and I was like, okay, I need this, you know, extra cash on a monthly basis for a while, I could stop paying altogether if I needed to. And so it creates a, a different financial tool in my life. And in some ways, um, you know, cause I always, I plan for the best, um, or I plan for the worst and hope for the best. Right. That's the saying. That's what you do. <laughs> a, a perfect, a perfect yeah. plan has a plan when nothing goes according to plan. Exactly. So <laughs> as long as you can shift, that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. mm -hmm. well, good. This is all very, very insightful and very thoughtful things that we're sharing with people. And if let's just say, for instance, that someone was in like kind of a funk right now, where they're trying to get a little bit more clarity in what they're doing, like, what is, like, let's say one piece of advice that you can give them that they should try to do right now. Well, I, I'm a, I'm a business geek at heart and, um, what I try to do when I'm in a, in a funk or hitting a road, a roadblock and not sure what path I should take. I'm a big, like life evaluation journaler and I love to do SWOT analysis, which mm -hmm. is a business term, but I like to do it in personal life. So you look at your strengths and your weaknesses and your opportunities and your threats. Um, and for me, it helps get that like third perspective, kind of bigger picture of like what's actually going on and is what I'm concerned about a valid anxiety or is it actually just amygdala hijack is what I like to call it. Right. Um, and, and I definitely get there with, um, I mean, my student loan debt is definitely something I have anxiety about, even though I'm being very proactive about it. And there are days where you get there and you're like, oh no, I need to save for this or do this thing or that thing. And am I doing it all right? And to back out and look at the plan again and be like, okay, no, I'm on target. This is amygdala hijack. I can choose to let it go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's how I try to keep my head on straight is to get that bigger pressure and really question that kind of imposter and that doubt that I'm having and saying like, is this really something valid or not? And if it is valid, okay, now what are we going to do to try to take that next step? Perfect. I love it. That's actually very helpful. <laughs> so for anyone that's out there, you should try doing a SWOT analysis. Uh, they, they do. They are really helpful. I will say. Uh, well, cool. I do appreciate you sharing and being here with me today on this. And just to wrap all of this up today, uh, I'm curious to know if, if you were an animal, what animal would you be? I am a big fan of sea otters. And oh, yeah. yeah, because they learn through play and creativity, which I just think is the best way to like experience life in general. So <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Everyone takes things so seriously and they just like to play yeah. and just try yeah. things. That's cool. <laughs> well, good. I do appreciate you joining me here today. This has been delightful. Well, thank you so much, Tom. Um, and best of best of luck with your podcast. And I hope that your listeners found something helpful today. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure you've helped a lot of people today. So uh, again, if, if you haven't had a chance to check out Melanie's uh, TEDx, definitely go check it out. I'll put a link in the description. Uh, also, at the same time, if there's a way for if you want to get in contact with her or visit our website as well, I'll put that there too. And at the same time, if you have not had a chance to see our mini series, go check it out. Absolutely complimentary. Again, this is Tom Seiko. 
wishing you a lifetime of financial success. Don't forget to visit our website and sign up for our newsletter. By subscribing, you'll be the first to know about upcoming race-approved CE webinars, podcast releases, short presentations, and articles that we publish. Make sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on LinkedIn, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. CJ Burnett and Tom Seiko are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, and financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. CJ Burnett's and Tom Seiko's California licenses are 0K79676 and 0K80141, respectively. Security products and advisory services are offered through Park Avenue Securities, LLC, a registered broker-dealer, investment advisor, member of FINRA and the SIPC, and a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Florida Veneer Advisors is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. This podcast is for information purposes only guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Florida Veterinary Advisors, and opinions stated are their own. This material is intended for general use. By providing the content, Park Avenue Securities LLC and your financial representative are not undertaking to provide investment advice or make a recommendation for a specific individual or situation or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. All investments contain risk and may lose value. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. The individuals associated with Florida Veterinary Advisors do not maintain specialized licenses or qualifications for the financial services provided to veterinary professionals. Florida Veterinary Advisors is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Semester number 2023-151-973 expires March of 2025.